So we started with use natural curiosity. We're going to move to by normal life situations. By normal life situations. Right? There are all kinds of circumstances in life. And I'll walk through these. They're all listed up there at once. But there's all kinds of circumstances in life where we can use them to teach our children about the Lord and about walking faithful with the Lord. Right? So the first one there in your notes is a crisis. A crisis. I have it in your notes. Remember, to your child, a crisis might be he waited to the last minute to get the science project started. Right? Their, their crises and yours may be much different. But for sure, we have crises that happen. And when they do, uh, we want to help them. We want to help them think through it. The death of an of a animal, a pet, that might be a crisis that you can use to help teach your child. Uh, Right, much sadder, but the death of a grandparent or an, a favorite aunt or uncle or a child at school moves away. Right, there's all kinds of crisis situations. Uh, sometimes it can be, as much as we try to keep from it, sometimes that can even be something they see on the news. Right, something that a crisis that's somewhere else, but it's in their world because the media stuck it there. Um, so that would be one. It's a, the next one down would be considering options or decisions. Right? I think there's a number of these, such as money, budget, clothes, how much money will it take to buy something, how to prioritize spending. Right? The goal is to help them see that the Bible helps us make those kinds of decisions. Kara, our daughter, she, she's a saver. And so she is saving her money. Her brother, her older brother's a spender. And so he needed, wanted something, not needed it. He wanted something. And so he went to her to see if he could get money. Right? And so we tried to help her think through that. Are you willing to give it? Right? We don't want sister borrowing, lending to brother and... Right? We're not necessarily wanted to go there, but we did talk through it. It was a great opportunity because it included both money and decision making. Uh, my son, when he was the 22 year old, when he was in sixth grade, he had been homeschooled all that time. And at that point, which is thankfully much different now, but at that point, the if you could not play in public school sports unless you went to public school a certain number of hours each day. And now Missouri law has changed to reflect the Texas, the Tebow law, which we're grateful for, right? So now you can be in homeschool and participate in sports, which is which I wish it were that way then. But it wasn't. So Keaton wanted to play football. And we had had him in football. We had him in the minor league stuff. And so he wanted to start junior high football, which meant he needed to go to school in order to do that. And so he came to us and he said, hey, I'd like to go to school this fall. So I can play football. And so we had him uh, write out a reasons he should transition and reasons that he shouldn't transition to try to think through the differences. And if he does transition, we had him write out things he needs to be careful of, things that he needs to be cautious about. What was what was our goal? Our goal was to help him make a decision. Letter C is contentment versus complaining. Right? The goal, when we're talking about contentment versus complaining, the goal is gratitude. Right? That's what we're seeking to build. If, if our children are grateful, they're going to miss a whole lot of sin. Lamentations 3.39 says, why should a living man complain? That's a great question. It goes on from there, but why should a man complain? Philippians 4, right? We want to teach them about contentment. 
James chapter 1. I think all of those texts are great texts to help us think about contentment. We want to build a spirit of gratitude in our children, gratefulness. Letter D, communing with God. Right, That's a life situation. How do we do that? Well, we want to teach them how to pray. Encourage them to pray at the table. Now, in our family, you do what you want to do. Every family's different. We let our children pray before they were believers at the table over meals. Uh, just to get in practice. We, we realize that some people do not want to do that, and that's fine. Everybody, every parent can make their own decision. The Bible doesn't give us a direct thing to do. Uh, but it was just something that we did. But we want them to learn how to pray. We want them to read the Bible. Even again, before they were believers, we had them regularly reading their Bible. It was something that we did every day to do with them. Just normal life situations we're wanting to teach them. How about letter E? In courtship or dating. Right? Thankfully, courtship is kind of less popular now. Um, and I say that not if you did that that's fine I'm not trying to be critical but I, there were some big I think there were some big issues in it that were were difficult to work around but in preparing for a future relationship I have in your notes there that we don't tease over boyfriends and girlfriends that's right we don't look at a six-year-old and say are you married yet why? Because it's, I know a lot of people laugh at it. That's funny to ask that. They laugh. It's just not a joke. Right? At six, they shouldn't be thinking about married at all. Right? So why ask that question in my mind? And you do whatever you want to do. That's just my opinion. Um, so around our house, we don't ask that stuff. We don't ask boyfriend, girlfriend questions all the time. We don't walk around and say, oh, I think he likes her. No. Be friends with everybody. Go out and just be a godly person. And when you're a godly person, you're going to have a lot of friends. When you're around godly people, not around ungodly necessarily, but just go out and be a, a godly person. And even in an unbelieving world, you're going to have quite a few friends because a godly person is so rare. Right. So in the process, then, we want to teach them about dating and about how to pick those relationships. I think Ernie Baker's good book is Ernie Baker's book on uh, marry wisely, marry well is the book that he wrote, which is play on words, his wife's name, Mary. Uh, he writes it from the perspective of a pastor, a dad, a granddad, and a professor. It's a great book by Ernie Baker. Uh, but we want to help them begin to think through those issues. How about... Uh, Honor of work. Right? We want them to learn how to work. And we want to teach that. That needs to start at the top. The dad has to teach that. Typically, mom do a good job with that already. What does Ecclesiastes teach? Ecclesiastes teaches that working is part of God's gift. And we want our children to know that God gives us work. It's part of his gracious gifts to us. And so go work. We're created to work. Basically at our house, the rule was no work, or pardon me, no play until the work is done. All right, let's get whatever work we have to do done, then we'll play. And while we're playing, we don't have to think about work. Um... It's fun to say, hey, there's a day off school or there whatever it is. So we're going to have a great day, but we got to get some work done first. And so let's do that. And I need to lead that as the dad, right? That starts at the top. When you play after you work, instead of work, instead of play before you work, it helps motivate. Um, the last thing we want our children who grow up thinking that it's appropriate to live off everyone else. But God didn't make us that way. He made us to provide. He didn't make us to take. Right? So we want to teach our children to provide for others, not take from others. 
I think we can train in homework, term papers, and projects. All right, there's deadlines. We need to help them organize. Monday morning's not the time to do everything we needed to do over the weekend. All right, so in homeschool, as you know, some of you who homeschool, that's a little bit harder because everything is adjustable. All right, so, but in normal homework situations, they have to learn how to keep projects and work through their projects and work through their deadlines. And so I think that's a great way to teach them. I think letter H is important. In births, deaths, and other special events, what do they need to learn there? To serve others. Right? So when people die, what can our family do to serve you? And let's go do that as a family. When there's a birth, what can we do to serve you? Maybe we need to make a meal. Maybe we need to babysit other children. Right? I want our children to know that when things happen that are important in the lives of other people, we can be sad with them, we can rejoice with them, but we can always, with, that just depends on the situation, but we can always serve them. Right? When someone needs something, our house is open. Right? There's, there's a sense in which, do, can we go serve? Can we get you something? Do we need to go grab a gift card to give someone? Right? That is taught, right? that's trained. And so we have to train our children in that. Letter I, church services, camps, ministry opportunities, time with church leaders. That's so important. Right? Let me suggest to you that those things must be priority. A teaching in a corporate setting is critical for our children. And so on Saturday nights, what that means is when it gets a certain time on Saturday night, everything in our home starts shutting down. Why? Because tomorrow's the biggest day of our week. We don't get stressed out on Mondays because it's time to go to school. Right? What do most families do on Sunday night? Oh, tomorrow's a work day. Tomorrow's school day. So let's change the way we've acted all weekend. So kids need to go to bed early. You need to do this. You need to do that because school is so important. Heavens no. I, could, I'm not, I don't mean this rudely, but I could care less if they go to school. What I most care about is are they ready on Sunday morning to get up and go to church? Have they gone to bed early enough on Saturdays? Have they had an appropriate mood? Do they realize that we're going to say no to stuff because that's what you do because Sunday's that important? They need to be around corporate ministry. What are ministry opportunities in the church where they can grow and learn and serve? What about camp? I don't care what job, summer job you have. We're not going to take the job if you can't have camp week off. Right? Because camp is that important. Time with church leaders. Right? I think I encourage parents, create opportunities to have your children hang out with the youth pastor, with the youth pastor's wife. And that, if you have a youth pastor that's not good at that stuff, then you create the opportunity and invite your youth pastor to it. Right? You don't have to wait on them to have a creative idea. You can have the creative ideas and just make sure they come along. Sometimes it looks like you're going to pay for extra stuff. You're going to pay so that other kids can go with your kids and the youth pastor somewhere. Right? You're going to provide the entertainment and you're going to do it without complaining. Why? Because you realize that it's that important. Some of my best memories growing up are with our youth pastor. Doing all kinds of cool stuff. I don't know what my mom and dad paid for or what they didn't. But I know that we sure had a good time learning from him. One of the reasons I went into senior adult ministry is because when I was hitting 20, 21, 22, getting married, still in school, moving to seminary, when I started looking around, I realized that much of the fingerprints on my life were there by godly adults. And I thought, what a joy to be able to live my life to serve those people. Why? Because my parents put me around those individuals. Right? The senior adults in our church, they love to go trout fishing. So what do I want to do? Well, even my daughter, she says she goes trout fishing with these senior adults. Why? Because she wants to. And I'm glad she does. She enjoys talking to them. She may talk their ear off, but they're happy to see it. They come to church and show her fish pictures and say, boy, I wish you were with us this week. 
why I want those relationships built. Because your children are going to, their life will be around something. And friends, the world wants it to be around sports. And many of us want it to be around sports. All right, the, especially those of us who didn't make it ourselves, we lived through our children. Well, that's not what's most important. We love to fish. And my son, the school, developed this fishing team. This was the 22-year-old. And it was his senior year. It was a brand-new fishing team. And he started asking me about it, and I said, Absolutely, I'm, I'm happy for you to be part of it. Dad, it's going to require this much of your time. We've got to use your boat. I mean, all those things. Okay, let's get the calendar. Let's see what we have to do. Let's see what we can do. If I can't, your uncle can. Right? There's, we're working with them. It was my son and his son. And then the school comes out and says, well, but this year, we're instead of doing Friday and Saturday tournaments, we're going to do Saturday, Sunday tournaments. I said, I hate that, Bob. But we can't. We don't have to think about it. Well, Dad, it's only three times. I know. If it's three times this year, it's four times next year. It's five times the year after. Right? That's just a line we don't cross. And that's a parental decision that teaches. Now, as a 22-year-old, does he do things I don't want him to? Yes. He takes his... He is a loving brother. He takes all of his siblings to watch the Cowboys. And he covers the whole expense. He invites them on a weekend. Right? That's the ones that are older, they get to go. I don't like that. I'd rather them be in church on Sunday morning. They say, Dad, we're watching it. We'd watch the entire service in the car. <laughs> I believe them. So, is it perfect? No. But most Sundays, at 22, he's serving in two different ministries, and he's there. What does that do? That's trained, right? I think that's that's what I'm talking about. We have to teach in those moments. Uh, the last one: vacations and staycations. Right? We want to teach in those moments as well. And what I'm talking about by teaching, right? Don't just spend all your time at Disney or wherever. Don't just play. If you're going to Orlando or if you're going to go to Florida's beach, find something educational. Right? Engage their minds while you vacation. Right? Do something fun that includes something to learn. Right? It's just a good way to teach. Easy to do on the East Coast. There's history stuff everywhere. Right? If that's an easy trip. Um, but there's stuff like that all over. And so... Use those things as much as you can to play, to teach as well. Look at number three then, is by your parental example. By your parental example. What are some of those? Let me give you some specific examples. First, your sensitivity to God's word. Your sensitivity to God's word. Do you open your Bible at church? Do you take notes in the sermons? Do you talk about it over lunch? Do you seek to live it during the week? Uh, One family in our church, my family doesn't do this, but one family in our church takes, every Sunday I give them a complete set of notes in their bulletin, and they take that notes, the kids take notes in church, There's about eight or ten of them or a bunch of them. And they don't go out with other people every Sunday. They go home, they have their lunch, and everybody pulls their notes and Bibles out, and they review with the kids what are the key things you needed to learn. That's an option. right? It's not the one we do, but it demonstrates a sensitivity to God's Word. So I think that's the critical element. Our example needs to teach this is important to us. Your value system that needs to teach. What are some of those? Well, what is temporal versus what's eternal? What's material versus what's immaterial? Right? What 
how important is the kingdom of God? How important is living for today versus living for eternity? You teach that in the way that you live. In this one, I have world there and you only have one blank, but you could just probably complete that thought by so you don't miss what I'm talking about. I would say either you're going to do it the world's way or the fruit of the Spirit. What are you going to live for? How do you functionally live? Is it based on the world system or is it through the fruit of the Spirit? Even 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Right? What is the temptations of the world in your life? How often are you drawn away by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life? Number three, how about God? Right? Loving God and loving neighbor. And when you love God and neighbor, what? That means you're going to serve people. But that's the way you live. We've got the absolute sweetest teenage girl in our church. Just a doll, adorable young lady. And her parents are the leaders of our life group system. They're the leaders of that system because they just serve so well. It's a perfect place. They fit there excellently. And they serve people all the time. And I was with her parents and with her the other day. She's, I think she's 13, 14. And we were standing somewhere at church and I said, hey, did y'all know about this particular person? Because typically we do a lot of care through our life groups. And as soon as she heard it, she said, oh, mom, I think they would really be encouraged if I made them an apple pie. As soon as she said it, I thought that comes from parents. 13-year-old girls aren't typically thinking, creating ways to make apple pies to serve people. But that comes from parents, and that's taught. And I'm so grateful for it. That is a value system that they've trained their daughter. By, example, by the example of Christ's love for the church. The example of Christ's love for the church. What are three places that we can look to Christ's love to give us good instruction and help? The first one we talked about yesterday was marriage. Right, the husband and the wife, the way they treat each other is through marriage. So I think that's the first place. A husband that serves his wife well helps the children learn to serve their wife, to serve their mother well. Right, a dad that lives that way teaches. And they learn this is what Christ's love looks like in in marriage. I see it with my dad for my mom. Number two, that fact that love is giving. They see that when we love, that means we want to give. We make a big deal in our family about giving is more important than receiving. Now, when the kids are smaller, it takes a little while to learn that. My, the, again, anything good about my children is from my wife. But my 22-year-old son, he, we didn't have the money to start uh, any kind of savings account for him when he was young. His brother was a lot of years, was 10 years younger than he was when he came along. Keaton got a job uh, at 15, 16, maybe 16-ish. And the first Christmas that he had his job, he brought in a... he, He Christmas, he wrapped this gift. His brother opened it. His brother couldn't even read yet. And... Or could barely read. And it is a... um, I don't know what company. Let's just say Wells Fargo. It's a Wells Fargo statement wrapped up in this in this Christmas present. And every year since Corbin was about six, I think, or seven, his brother's putting a thousand. He puts a hundred dollars a month in a an account for his youngest brother. That is so sweet. Why does he do that? Because he's learned that love is giving. A 22-year-old is putting back $1,200 a year, not for himself, but for somebody else. And he said, Bob, I want you to have college money. I want you to be ready 
So, <laughs> sorry about the <laughs> tears. But love is giving. How do you communicate and solve problems? You do that through the love of Christ. And you train that. You live that. How about how you handle trials? We, Corbin was two, our youngest. We were all in a, we were all in a, probably a Yukon, I don't know, some vehicle. It was a really snowy day, probably eight, ten inches of snow. So we had made a snowman the night before. It was wonderful snow. That morning, we had gotten up, we were slow morning, we had gotten up, everybody was home, we got in the car, we were heading out to the high school to sled with our cousins. And so we were meeting them at the high school. My brother's a superintendent, so their grass is our grass, right? It all, it all works out. So we're heading out to the high school to, to sled. And as we start backing out, at two years old, my son just goes crazy when he sees the snowman from the night before. Just screaming, dad, dad, dad. And, and so I understand what he's doing. And so I start to talk to him. And I forget that one of our other trucks is parked in the driveway. And I scraped all the way down the side of it. So once you're there, you've got to get out from there. And so I had to pull back out. And it scraped, of course, the second time. So I put it in reverse, backed out into the, eventually backed out into the road. And we're, we live out in the country, so no one was coming. I think we may have been even the fresh tracks for the day on the road. And so I just stopped on the road. I said, hey, let's, let's just talk about this real quick. All the kids were screaming, dad, 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 right? There was a, Kelly was screaming. Uh, she may have been screaming first. I don't know. But I just said to them, what do we know? What we know is that our day-to-day is for each other. God's given us an opportunity to enjoy the snow, enjoy time together, enjoy our cousins. We didn't run over anybody. Everybody's safe. There weren't any, no one else was in our driveway, and it just cost us some money. So we're done with this. Let's go snow. And we drove off. Kids didn't say another word about it all day. Cousins didn't even know what had happened. Why? Because you just teach them. This is the way you handle a trial. right? We can see the blessing in it. We can handle what we have to handle, and we move on. Why? Because why would we let a trial? Right? We want to train. We want to help our children see something that goes bad. We don't have to lose it all day. We don't have to curse the snow and curse the truck that was parked where it was supposed to be or any of those things. <laughs> right? How you handle anger. What a great place to teach your children. Show them what godly anger looks like. Help them when they're not. Right? I... Uh, I don't know if I told you yesterday or not. I was told somebody yesterday about... I called basketball on the radio for about 10 years. Just a fun, fun, fun thing to do. College basketball. Well, what happened when I initially first started... Well, I would go to watch sports, and I was a very vocal, uh, very vocal person while I watched. So much so, my wife sometimes said, I don't know if, know if I want to sit with you. And that's fine. I understood it. So I started volunteering. I learned how to do all the stuff necessary so that I became an official and would sit on the sit at the table. Right? So I can mark I can mark the books, I can do the clock, all the stuff that needed to be done. I could do those things. Why? Because if you sit there, you can't talk. Right? You just have to sit there quiet. And I learned how to not talk. Right? It was helpful. Uh, So I learned to just sit and watch a game without being vocal. And then in God's kindness, a radio station asked me if I would be willing to do call the games on the radio with another guy. My friend was in it and he asked, hey, would would you want to join me? I got paid to give my opinion, (laughs) right? This is like, this was God's kindness. You learned to be quiet and now I'm going to give you money to say whatever it is you're thinking. It was the sweetest thing in the world. Um, 
But now when my kids watch the ball and I watch them losing it, I have to remind them, no, we don't have to do this. Right? You to my son this weekend. We don't even care about these. Who played on Thursday night football? Anybody remember? Bears played who? Uh, So, okay. So y'all got it. So the Bears played Washington this Thursday night. We could care less. I mean, I can't even put enough exclamation points. We could care less about the Bears and Washington. I mean, I care some against Washington because I'm a Dallas fan. But outside of that, for the most part, I could care less about them. My son is watching the game, my my 12-year-old now, and he's over there crying. And I said, son, why are you crying? He said, Dad, they missed that call. And look, and I'm like, whoa, Bob, this cannot control you. Right? I have to teach him. Why? Because he's like his dad. Right? There was a day I would have not cried, I don't think. So at least he's not cursing. What do we do with authority? Right? When the policeman pulls you over, when an elder says something to you, when your boss talks to you, right? how do you handle authority? Your children are watching those moments. How do you handle mistakes, failures, and victories? They see you more than they hear you. Right? So we have to know how we're teaching. How about formally? Formally. Well... When we talk about formally, just jot a note, you're talking about formal family devotions here. Right? When you, what do you plan to teach them? That's what we mean by formally. We have Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7 again. Let me just give you the lines here. Letter A is solicit your spouse's help. Right? Talk to your spouse. What does our family need to learn? Maybe they don't need the covenants versus the dispensations this month. Right? Maybe... There's something better we should teach them. Uh, we'll work through the church fathers next year. right there. So your spouse may be able to give you good help. In fact, I encourage you to do it. Settle your past conflicts. Keep current. If you have stuff that you've not settled in your family, if you have conflicts that aren't dealt with, then it's very hard to do family devotions and not be a hypocrite. Letter C, select the right time. Right, don't. The worst thing you can do is force feed devotions to your family. Right, why make it a time that they want to watch TV or they want to go outside and play? Just pick a good time or a better time. Right, consider your family schedule. Don't read a book and there's lots of books out there. I'm not going to say any names because you may love these authors. Every book you read about family devotions is extra biblical. The Bible says nothing about family devotions. It's just not in there. So if someone, if you read a book and it's a whole book on family devotions, what are you reading? Somebody's opinion. You can't let their opinion rule your house. Right? There are not rules for family devotions. You can... Do whatever you want to do and God can be honored. You can choose not to have devotions in certain seasons and God can be honored. Depends what motivates you. Right? So select the right time, but somebody else doesn't know the best time for your family. Right? It's a wisdom choice. I hope I'm not getting anybody frustrated here. Get something for each child. We had four children. They ranged from, it was a, uh, I think there was a 10, 12, I don't know. I think there's a 10-year gap. So don't just feed the older ones and don't just feed the younger ones. Study. Don't just wing it. Seek variety. By seek variety, sometimes you may act out a story. 
Sometimes you may do something, you may listen to the Bible, a dramatized version of the Bible. Sometimes you may sing, or you may have one of the kids lead the devotion. Right? There's all kinds of ways you can be, be creative and see your formal time as only part of the whole. Right? We've talked a lot about parenting without mentioning family devotions. Right? It's just one element of the broader all right, so what am I to teach? Let's get through some of these. I think we have 16 here. First, attentiveness, obedience, and honor of parents. Help them learn to obey their authority. That's Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Right? There's a right attitude they're supposed to have. The second one, teach them doctrine. Help them understand doctrine. My daughter... We had to help her understand, once you know your doctrine, when do you talk about it? She would go at it at co-op with people from other denominations. And she'd just say, you are, she'd come home. I would get, sometimes uh, would get phone calls. I'm teaching, I'm teaching at Baptist Bible College and I'm getting a phone call. And Kara said, I borrowed mom's phone. Dad, this person said this out of this verse and this is wrong. I'm like, sis, just relax. (laughs) Right? Uh, but I'm glad you know the truth. So, <laughs> just doctrine. That's important, right? You don't want them to, you, you want them to be wise with it. But, yeah, teach them doctrine. Teach them how to be saved. And then to know how to grow and change. Your children ought to be able to define sanctification. Right? They ought to be able to define key doctrines for you. Um. I, let me recommend a book, Teach Them Diligently, by Lou Priolo. Great book uh, to talk about how to teach your children, including doctrine. Let her see the implications of honoring God in everything. What does that look like? Right, what, how do we honor God in everything? That would include basically the issue of what does it mean to glorify God? You don't have that one? What do you have? Oh, that's, yeah, just mark a line through that. Use those same verses. Just call it implications of honoring God in everything. I didn't like the number three that's there. I thought I'd change that. I did in the PowerPoint, just not on your notes. Implications of honoring God in everything. Same verses. Right? The goal is we should honor God, glorify God in everything that we do. Number four, to be good stewards of our health, of our body, of our temple, of our safety, of our testimony, of our finances, of our time, ministry opportunities, of God's grace, good stewards of people and relationships, good stewards of purity. Right, to be a good steward in all those things. To solve problems. We've already talked about that. How do we use the four rules of communication? How do we admit when we're wrong? What are the methods of problem solving? Number six, to make decisions. How do we make decisions using God's principles? We've already talked about that earlier. Number seven, to love and serve others. Some of these are similar to what we've already talked about, but now I'm just saying he, these are things you want to make sure you're teaching. Right, be a minister of the gospel for good of others. Number eight, to begin each day with praise. Right, find something that you're grateful for. Get it on your mind and heart. To handle trials biblically. Again, I'm giving you verses for each one of these that you can think through. Boy, this is one important, isn't it? To return good for evil. Um. Yes, I've got a lot of stories, but we can't tell them all. That forgiveness is a promise. What is forgiveness and what does it mean and how do you understand it? So we want to train that. That love is giving. We've already talked about that at the beginning. We want to teach them to be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So we want to help them be content.
Number 14, we want to help them make disciples. Help them learn what it means to be a disciple. Number 15, to be a godly husband, wife, or parent. And then number 16, then the understanding of true success. We want to teach all of those things as much as absolutely possible. All right, go ahead and jump over to the next lecture. It says at the top, Faithful Biblical Parenting, Part 1. I mean, Part 2. Faithful Biblical Parenting, Part 2. When's this session over? 45? That's no good, is it? All right. Let me just fill in some blanks with you anyway. Hey, the rest of that verse says what? When Ephesians 6, it says, And fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. In that text... What do we understand as nurture? Right? Nurture in this text, that's our word for discipline, correction, for structured control. Right? So we want to bring them up in that. Our culture makes the discussion of training and discipline more complicated than it used to be. Right? I could tell you stories, you could tell me stories. I grew up in a generation where we actually went to a tree and sometimes would pull off switches I'm glad we don't do that anymore but but it was simpler then not that it wasn't abusive I'm not saying that but it was simpler uh, it was less complicated With it's more complicated now when you start adding adoption and foster kids and and hotlines and the school can hotline you anybody can hotline you a neighbor can hotline you. How do we discipline grandchildren? Right? You start looking at all of those various issues and you realize it is more complicated. And, but that doesn't mean that the truth is not the truth. Right? So we have to, and I'm not saying switches was the truth. I'm just saying it was, it was less, less complicated then. Right? To discipline in sinful anger is wrong. It's always sinful. If you are angry... And you're disciplining, that is a sinful way to anger. Uh, pardon me, sinful way to discipline. Yes, we must be people of balance. We can't be people of extremes. We have to understand discipline biblically. We must interpret each passage in light of all the scriptures. We do have to love, we do have to discipleship, and we do have to discipline. When you think of discipline or correction, you should not primarily be thinking about spanking. Although spanking is certainly spare the rod, spoil the child. That is in the Bible. But it's bigger than simply spanking. Some families, some parents, that's their only way of correction. I think that's a, a bad idea. I don't think it's a bad idea just when you think through it in the broad sense of the scriptures. The big picture is you want to help your child learn to respond to life. And in places where they choose to do it in rebellion, we're going to need to help correct them. Help get them back on the right path. But the goal is what? The goal is restoration. The goal is to help them honor the Lord. But the Bible talks about that in many ways. Let's talk about some false ideas about discipline. The first one is that correction alone is enough. That isn't true. Right? It's Ephesians 6.4 doesn't just say, and fathers, don't provoke them to wrath, but make sure you correct them. No, there's a both and, right? It's broader than that. You need to have, <coughs> pardon me, you need, there needs to be time and time to nourish and instruct, not just time to holler. Correction, sometimes people would say, well, correction seems to turn out wrong many times for me. 
I do it over and over and over and our kids still won't listen. I sat them down. I asked them about their heart. I told them about the gospel. I did this, I did that. They quit listening early in that process. But it will be wrong if you discipline in uncontrolled anger. James 1.20, you might circle that one. What does it say? Anger produces something. But it doesn't produce what God wants it to produce. Right? Why, do parents produce ang- why do parents correct in anger? Because it does produce something. But if you're going to produce what God is wanting to produce, then you can't produce, you cannot discipline in anger. Discipline because they bother me. Right? How many times do parents let something go? It's okay if the kids roll through the house on skates. And I don't care if it's, it's okay in our certain places in our house. I could care less. You have a house to use. If they want to be on skates, that's fine. In the right place and in the right time. But it can't be against the rules on Monday, but on Tuesday because dad has a headache. Pardon me. It can't be okay on Monday, but on Tuesday because I'm grumpy or have a headache. It's against the rules and I discipline for them. Right? You can't be inconsistent. Well, today it bothers me. So turn the volume down. Well, every other day you'd let the volume be up. Right? So you have to think through that. That's what I mean by discipline just simply because it bothers you. Discipline without love or praise. We have to love carefully. Look for something to praise even when you're disciplining. Sometimes I say to my children, y'all are some of the most creative sinners I know. (laughs) Why? They are. I can compliment their creativity. But it's wrong. right? You're creative, but now we're going to have to be creative in the way we handle it. Right? You want to be confident and tender. And if you can't be tender while you discipline, then you might need to postpone your discipline. In fact, I would encourage it. Sometimes the reason it goes wrong is because we discipline without teaching. Right? We don't just simply discipline, we also teach. Deuteronomy 6 says we teach all the time. So letter B, correction seems to turn out wrong many times. What about letter C? Am I in the right spot? Yeah, it doesn't work. It's only punitive. Right? Some people say that. It doesn't work. It's only punitive. And I would say correction alone is not enough. We agree. If all you're doing is something that's punitive, then it's your problem, not the problem of correction. Right? If that's the simple goal you have, that's not enough. What about letter D? I'm, up, I'm off one on my PowerPoint. That's the problem. But discipline will hinder creativity and potential. Some people would say that. And I would say it does not hinder creativity. It helps funnel it in the right direction. It helps them to develop self-control, which makes creativity and potential bloom. Right? It makes it better. If they can use all that energy and creativity in something that honors God and helps people. You say, well, but discipline will warp his or her personality. Well, we know, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And that needs to be shaped. Little guys need the folly taken out of their heart. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The last thing I want my children thinking is that there is no God. They're dead in their trespasses and sins, according to Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. They're a child of wrath, of God's wrath. So they need shaped. They need shepherded. So when you say, well, discipline warps their personality, we don't want them to keep their personality. Not as a depraved, unbelieving sinner. 
Right? We want God to do something dramatic on their inner man. So the fact that it may help them change, I would say amen to that. Not be fearful of it warping it. Number three, remember our Lord corrects those he loves. Just like the Lord, we correct those who need it. Right? He is our example of what that correction looks like. Right In Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 15, it certainly helps us understand that. No chastening seems to be joyful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so as parents, we have to remember that. What are then some essentials for effective correction? Let's get those down. Let's first start with a, a conviction. What kind of conviction? Well, let's give you several things. First, a conviction that children are a gift from God. You cannot see your children as a frustrated part of your day. I've had many counselees say, I hate my children. I wish I wasn't a parent. Well, you're going to have bad discipline. Right? You have to start with the conviction. No, these are gifts from God for which I'm a steward. You are God's representative and you must give an account for what you do with your children. First Samuel 3, what's it say? Eli did not restrain his children. David Boy, did he mess up with his children. I don't want to be on that list as much as I can help it. As much as depends on me. God wants you to give wisdom and strength. That's another thing that you have to remember. God is using you to help his help these children. So God wants to give you wisdom and strength. And I think this was an important one too. Letter D. You are loving to give limits. There are so many reasons for that. Why is it loving to give limits? Well, because limits will not cause or heal a problem. It's not going to create it or cause it to be worse. In fact, it will protect the child from things he can't handle. There are times a child needs limits. You can't have that right before you go to bed. Or you can't watch that late into the night. Or whatever it is. Right? So it helps protect them. It provides a good setting for learning. So limits can be very beneficial for our children. And what else? It's the stuff life's made of. They're not going to have an unlimited income. They don't get as many tries at batting as they want. If you're in peewee ball, you only usually get two strikes. With the little kids, you don't get as unlimited times at bat. The bigger we are, what? The bigger others are. The more responsibility you have, the more responsibility you're under. They have to understand that. A state trooper will remind them that life has many limits. And you want to help them first know that lesson. So that the troopers don't have to be much harder. Children not practiced at handling limits are not prepared to handle life. I love that statement. Children not practiced at handling limits are not prepared to handle life. So we want to help them with limits. What else do we want to do? Well, we want to give expectations ahead of time. Well, this is important. Give expectations ahead of time. As much as you might like to wing it, it's best if you don't. If you do that, you're more like God. Right? That's part of being a godly person. In Eden, God says this is what you can do and what you can't do. And this is what you would expect if, it doesn't, if you do what you shouldn't. Sinai, right? Deuteronomy resembles, describes, I should say, these expectations and says, if you do this, you'll get blessings. If you do this, you'll get curses. 
If you give expectations ahead of time, it prevents anger of both the parent and the child. Right? You say, well, what did we talk about? That's what we talked about. That's what will happen. Right? You don't have to be angry at it. You've already prepared beforehand. What else? Number three. Well, this one's important too. Make rules that are, and before we get there, consistency is very important. I have that in your notes. I just jotted it in there for you. Consistency is very important. So how? what kind of rules should you make? Well, make sure they're reasonable. They're reasonable rules. Well, there's so much we could say here. I hate, we have two hours and that's all we have. So, boy, they need to be reasonable. Part of being reasonable are, would be, I would suggest, I'll give you just a couple of things. Part of being reasonable is they can't be, you can't have lots of them. You need to have fewer rules rather than a lot of rules. Right? Sometimes we do too many rules in a home. So it needs to be reasonable. Fewer rules. Keep them small. Um, in Matthew, it says these Pharisees, they bound heavy burdens. They need to be definable. Clearly understood by the parent and child. And then, oh, there's a lot of examples, again, I could use. One, you can't say don't leave the yard, but when you say that, you everybody knows, well, you don't really mean don't go to the neighbors, you just mean don't cross the street. right? It needs to be definable. Maybe don't leave the yard's not the way to say it. Maybe the rule needs to be something different. Um, my wife, she went into the kids' rooms and she helped them make a big mess in every room. And they took pictures of all the mess. And then she helped them clean their whole room. And they took pictures of all the clean spots. Then they put big posters on the back of their door. And on one side, it had the pictures of this is a dirty room. And on the other side, it says this is a picture of a clean room. Right? So now clean is defined. So when she says, have you cleaned your room or you need to clean your room, right? there is a definable standard so that they understand it. Everybody gets it. This is what clean looks like needs to be enforceable. Or you can't say if you do it again six times. If you don't get your shoes on, I'm going to get in the car and leave you. No, you're not. <laughs> right? That's a lie. If you do that again, the whole family's going to stay home. No, because you want to go too much to do that. You know that. Right? You're not going to enforce it. So don't make rules on the fly and don't make rules you're not going to follow. Number four, establish appropriate rewards and punishments or disciplines. All the way through the Bible, we have cause and effect. And so that means we're going to need to, at times we're going to have to use those. All right, just a couple of observations here. It looks like six. Number one, they need to be more immediate for a small child. When you're disciplining a small child, it can't really wait that long. They just don't remember. They don't know why you're disciplining. Proverbs 13 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 11, I think is another one there. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Right, so we want to be careful. We need to be consistent but more immediate. Number two, focus on a daily habit that needs changing. Work on something. It's kind of like normal self-counsel. Number three, parents need to list the strengths and weaknesses of each child. Husband and wife, mom and dad, maybe grandparents, the people that are with them all the time. Sit down and figure out, okay, so what do our children need to work on? Every child may need to be working on something different. Number four, find appropriate rewards and disciplines or corrections. Again, each child's going to be different. Not everybody's the same. 
what one person may consider a reward, the other people may not care at all. So pick that per child. Every problem is not a major issue. There's a difference between a fire issue and a swing issue, is what we often say in the country. Right? If there's a fire in the house, everybody's got to move. Right? That's a big deal. You've got to do something about if you have a fire. But if you've said multiple times, don't climb on the swing, and you look out the window and they're climbing on the swing, right? you're going to handle that differently. You may have an opportunity to get outside and say, get off the swing, or they may fall and break their arm. What is that? That's a natural consequence. Right? So as parents, we're trying to be wise with those and trying to measure them to say, but it's not all fire issues, right? Not everything is handled the same way. One tool might be a behavior contract. I really like these. And there's, a, there's one in your notes, right? It has, okay, this is what we want you to do. There's a reward if you do it. And there's a correction if you don't do it, right? And the child sees it. You make it. It needs to be limited in its scope. Everybody signs off on it, and then you operate out of that. It's kind of like your contract. And so sometimes the reward is simple, like under the garage. Pardon me, the garbage. I said that wrong. Tuesday and Friday. I needed to be done one minute ago. No wonder. Okay, Tuesday and Friday, you need to have the garbage out. Well, what's the reward? Well, there's no garbage in your room. Right? That is a blessing to have a clean room. What's the correction? Well, you're going to have garbage in your room and you're still going to take it out. Right? So you just work through that. And then you're going to follow through in love. How do you do the follow through in love? Let me give you a few things here and we're going to let you go. You're a few minutes late. My apologies. First, you're going to avoid discipline and uncontrolled anger. We've already talked about that in the other session. If you need to leave, if you need to pause, if you need to say, listen, I'm angry. It would not honor God and it would not be loving for you for me to discipline you right now. So we're going to postpone this. We're going to come back to it tonight or this afternoon. I'm going to go take a walk and when I come home, we'll talk about this. Right? You, you do, you're the adult, which means you need to be the one that makes that choice. We're going to postpone this for a few minutes because I need to get my heart right. Letter B, avoid words and tones that attack the person instead of the problem. I've never had a kid so stubborn as you. How can you be so stupid? Right? Those attack the person, not the problem. Give help where needed. Teach them how to do something. Don't forget, you used to be there. So teach them how to work through it as much as possible. Remember, you teach by your examples. And then expect pressure. Expect pressure. What are some of the pressures? Well, let me give you a couple for expecting pressure. Right? What if the child says, well, if you really love me. Well, love is the reason we're doing this. I do love you. Right? That's why I'm doing this. Well, what kind of Christian are you? Well, I'm the kind of Christian that lovingly sticks by what's best for you, even if you sinfully react against it. But you don't understand. Well, if you mean... Understanding is agreeing with you. I don't agree with you. But I do understand, and that means I disagree with you. Right? So what else? We have, if I die, you'll be sorry. <laughs> but if you live and grow up not learning to obey God's command, and you're happy about it, we'll both be sorry. Right? It's, you just have to know that the kids are going to say, if they challenge you, it's good experience for them 
when the parent wins decisively. Godly, but decisively. David hadn't displeased his son at any time, and it made a mess. That's what 1 Kings 1.6 says. So, a couple questions you can ask. There's no lines here. Let me just pull them up. Uh, what did you do? Tell me what you did. Was it right? You could ask that. Did it honor the Lord? What should you have done? What will you do next time? And what does God expect me to do? Doesn't mean you can't give them mercy, but they need to know there is an expectation of what you need to do. All right, let me pray for you. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for these brothers and sisters and for the fun it's been to think through these issues. Now just help us live them and help us counsel them well. And Lord, I thank you for my own children and pray that you would help my children's parents. They are the ones that need it. In Jesus' name, amen.